Volume One, Chapter Seven of A Simple Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arielle Lipshaw. A Simple Story by Elizabeth Inchbald. Volume One, Chapter Seven. Sir Edward, not wholly discouraged by the denial with which Doriforth had, with delicacy, acquainted him, still hoped for a kind reception, and was so often at the house of Mrs. Horton that Lord Frederick's jealousy was excited, and the tortures he suffered in consequence convinced him beyond a doubt of the sincerity of his affection. Every time he beheld the object of his passion, for he still continued his visits, though not so frequently as heretofore, he pleaded his cause with such ardour that Miss Woodley, who was sometimes present and ever compassionate, could not resist wishing him success. He now unequivocally offered marriage, and entreated that he might lay his proposals before Mr. Doriforth, but this was positively forbidden. Her reluctance he imputed, however, more to the known partiality of her guardian for the addresses of Sir Edward than to any motive which depended on herself, and to Mr. Doriforth he conceived a greater dislike than ever, believing that through his interposition, in spite of his ward's attachment, he might yet be deprived of her. But Miss Milner declared both to him and to her friend that love had at present gained no influence over her mind. Yet did the watchful Miss Woodley oftentimes hear a sigh escape from her unknown to herself, till she was reminded of it, and then a sudden blush would instantly overspread her face. This seeming struggle with her passion endeared her more than ever to Miss Woodley, and she would even risk the displeasure of Doriforth by her compliance with every new pursuit that might amuse the time, which else her friend passed in heaviness of heart. Balls, plays, incessant company, at length roused her guardian from that mildness with which he had been accustomed to treat her. Night after night his sleep had been disturbed by fears for her when abroad. Morning after morning it had been broken by the clamour of her return. He therefore gravely said to her one forenoon, as he met her accidentally upon the staircase, "'I hope, Miss Milner, you pass this evening at home.' Unprepared for the sudden question, she blushed and replied, "'Yes, though she knew she was engaged to a brilliant assembly, for which her milliner had been consulted a whole week. She, however, flattered herself that what she had said might be excused as a mistake, the lapse of memory, or some other trifling fault, when he should know the truth. The truth was earlier divulged than she expected, for just as dinner was removed, her footman delivered a message to her from her milliner concerning a new dress for the evening, the present evening particularly marked. Her guardian looked astonished. "'I thought, Miss Milner, you gave me your word that you would pass this evening at home.' "'I mistook, for I had before given my word that I should pass it abroad.' "'Indeed!' cried he. "'Yes, indeed. And I believe it is right that I should keep my first promise, is it not?' "'The promise you gave me, then, you do not think of any consequence?' "'Yes, certainly, if you do.' "'I do. And mean, perhaps, to make it of more consequence than it deserves by being offended.' "'Whether or not I am offended, you shall find I am.' And he looked so. She caught his piercing eyes, hers were immediately cast down, and she trembled, either with shame or with resentment. Mrs. Horton rose from her seat, moved the decanters and fruit round the table, stirred the fire, and came back to her seat again, before another word was uttered. Nor had this good woman's officious labours taken the least from the awkwardness of the silence, which as soon as the bustle she had made was over, returned in its full force. 
At last Miss Milner rising with alacrity was preparing to go out of the room, when Doraforth raised his voice, and in a tone of authority said, "'Miss Milner, you shall not leave the house this evening.' "'Sir!' she exclaimed, with a kind of doubt of what she had heard, a surprise which fixed her hand on the door she had half opened, but which now she showed herself irresolute whether to open wide in defiance or to shut submissively. Before she could resolve he rose from his chair, and said with a force and warmth she had never heard him use before, "'I command you to stay at home this evening.' And he walked immediately out of the apartment by another door. Her hand fell motionless from that which she held. She appeared motionless herself, till Mrs. Horton, beseeching her not to be uneasy at the treatment she had received, made her tears flow as if her heart was breaking. Miss Woodley would have said something to comfort her, but she had caught the infection and could not utter a word. It was not from any real cause of grief that she wept, but there was a magnetic quality in tears which always attracted hers. Mrs. Horton secretly enjoyed this scene, though the real well-meaning of her heart and ease of her conscience did not suffer her to think so. She, however, declared that she had long prognosticated it would come to this, and she only thanked heaven it was no worse. "'What could be worse, madam?' cried Miss Milner. "'Am not I disappointed of the ball?' "'You don't mean to go, then,' said Mrs. Horton. "'I commend your prudence, and I dare say it is more than your guardian gives you credit for.' "'Do you think I would go?' answered Miss Milner, with an eagerness that for a time suppressed her tears, in contradiction to his will? "'It is not the first time, I believe, you have acted contrary to that, Miss Milner,' replied Mrs. Horton, and affected a tenderness of voice, to soften the harshness of her words. "'If you think so, madam, I see nothing that should prevent me now.' And she flung out of the room as if she had resolved to disobey him. This alarmed poor Miss Woodley. "'My dear aunt,' she cried to Mrs. Horton, "'follow and prevail upon Miss Milner to give up her design. She means to be at the ball in opposition to her guardian's will.' "'Then,' said Mrs. Horton, "'I'll not be instrumental in deterring her. If she does it may be for the best. It may give Mr. Doraforth a clearer knowledge what means are proper to convert her from evil.' "'But, my dear madam, she must be preserved from the evil of disobedience, and as you tempted you will be the most likely to dissuade her.' but if you will not, I must endeavour. Miss Woodley was leaving the room to perform this good work, when Mrs. Horton, in imitation of the example given her by Doraforth, cried, "'Niece, I command you not to stir out of the room this evening.' Miss Woodley obediently sat down, and though her thoughts and heart were in the chamber of her friend, she never marked by one impertinent word or by one line of her face the restraint she suffered. At the usual hour Mr. Doraforth and his ward were summoned to tea, he entered with a countenance which evinced the remains of anger, his eye gave testimony of his absent thoughts, and though he took up a pamphlet affecting to read, it was plain to discern that he scarcely knew he held it in his hand. Mrs. Horton began to make tea with a mind as intent upon something else as Doraforth's. She longed for the event of this misunderstanding, and though she wished no ill to Miss Milner, yet with an inclination bent upon seeing something new, without the fatigue of going out of her own house, she was not over-scrupulous what that novelty might be. But for fear she should have the imprudence to speak a word upon the subject which employed her thoughts, or even to look as if she thought of it at all, she pinched her lips close together, and cast her eyes on vacancy, lest their significant regards might expose her to detection. And for fear any noise should intercept even the sound of what might happen, she walked across the room more softly than usual, and more softly touched everything she was obliged to lay her hand on. Miss Woodley thought it her duty to be mute, 
and now the jingle of a teaspoon was like a deep-toned bell all was so quiet. Mrs. Horton, too, in the self-approving reflection that she was not in a quarrel or altercation of any kind, felt herself at this moment remarkably peaceful and charitable. Miss Woodley did not recollect herself so, but was so in reality. In her, peace and charity were instinctive virtues. Accident could not increase them. The tea had scarce been made when a servant came with Miss Milner's compliments, and she did not mean to have any tea. The pamphlet shook in Doraforth's hand while this message was delivered. He believed her to be dressing for her evening's entertainment, and now studied in what manner he should prevent or resent her disobedience to his commands. He coughed, drank his tea, endeavoured to talk but found it difficult, sometimes read, and in this manner near two hours were passed away when Miss Milner came into the room, not dressed for a ball, but as she had risen from dinner. Doraforth read on, and seemed afraid of looking up, lest he should see what he could not have pardoned. She drew a chair and sat at the table by the side of her delighted friend. After a few minutes' pause, and some little embarrassment on the part of Mrs. Horton, at the disappointment she had to encounter from this unexpected dutiful conduct, she asked Miss Milner if she would now have any tea. She replied, "'No, I thank you, ma'am,' in a voice so languid, compared with her usual one, that Doraforth lifted up his eyes from the book, and seeing her in the same dress that she had worn all the day, turned them hastily away from her again, not with a look of triumph, but of confusion. Whatever he might have suffered if he had seen her decorated, and prepared to bid defiance to his commands, yet even upon that trial he would not have endured half the painful sensations he now for a moment felt. He felt himself to blame. He feared that he had treated her with too much severity. He admired her condescension, accused himself for having exacted it. He longed to ask her pardon. He did not know how. A cheerful reply from her to a question of Miss Woodley's embarrassed him still more. He wished that she had been sullen. He then would have had a temptation, or a pretense, to have been sullen, too. With all these sentiments crowding fast upon his heart, he still read, or seemed to read, as if he took no notice of what was passing, till a servant came into the room, and asked Miss Milner at what time she should want the carriage, to which she replied, "'I don't go out to-night.' Doraforth then laid the book out of his hand, and by the time the servant had left the room, thus began— Miss Milner, I give you, I fear, some unkind proofs of my regard. It is often the ungrateful task of a friend to be troublesome, sometimes unmannerly. Forgive the duties of my office, and believe that no one is half so much concerned if it robs you of any degree of happiness as I myself am. What he said, he looked with so much sincerity that had she been burning with rage at his late behaviour, she must have forgiven him, for the regret which he so forcibly expressed." She was going to reply, but found she could not, without accompanying her words with tears. Therefore, after the first attempt, she desisted. On this he rose from his chair, and going to her, said, "'Once more show your submission by obeying me a second time to-day. Keep your appointment, and be assured that I shall issue my commands with more circumspection for the future, as I find how strictly they are complied with.' Miss Milner, the gay, the vain, the dissipated, the haughty Miss Milner, sunk underneath this kindness, and wept with a gentleness and patience, which did not give more surprise than it gave joy to Doraforth. He was charmed to find her disposition so tractable, prophesied to himself the future success of his guardianship, and her eternal as well as temporal happiness from this specimen. 
End of chapter 7 of volume 1